Good morning, church. You were worried if I could handle that one-handed, weren't you? I'm a lot stronger than I look. You guys excited to be here today? Can we get a little hand clap for Jesus just to get us started? So, uh, there we go, Fellowship Center. Give me a wave over there if you can hear me. All right, that looks great. Oh, yeah, I see Robert Randall back there. Some fine-looking Christians in this place over here. I want to try something uh, just just to do it. For those of you at home at the live stream, Fellowship Center here in the main auditorium, when I count to three, I want to give a good Jesus, and I want it Kirk Lively style. All right, can we do that, Kirk? All right, now I want everybody, because we're going to see who's louder at home, Fellowship Center, or here. Who loves the Lord? One, two, three. Jesus! Woo! That's good. That's good. I love it. Yeah. Name to be praised, right? Name above all names. I have to say, to be fair to the Fellowship Center, I can't hear you over here. But I'll find out later how it was. And those of you at home, uh, what a blessing uh, to be able to still come into your homes. Lloyd and Francis Williams, I know you're watching every week. I think about our folks from uh, all around the country as well as our local folks. And I just want to say welcome uh, to WFR, to everyone. What a blessing we have to really be a light into the whole world. Isn't that what we were called to be? That's what he called us to. And that's what we are. Before I have our scripture reader come up, <clears throat> is anybody else struggling with sinuses besides me? Man, this is tough, right? And in the era of COVID, you're scared to cough in public. I got on an elevator last week and there was a, a guy that gets on. He's got his little kid with him, you know, and he coughed. And then he looked kind of panicked and he said, sinuses. <clears throat> and I was like, dude, it's okay. <laughs> I'm not judging. But that's what happens, right? And, uh, and this is just a tough season uh, for all of us. So, uh, but I want to have a prayer uh, this morning to open us. I woke up in the middle of the night, which usually I take as a sign from the Holy Spirit that he's trying to convey something to me. And I kept thinking about all the folks that are still being affected five months into this coronavirus. And, you know, we try to just kind of take the 30,000 foot view and talk about Jesus, which we should, and how that ultimately it's eternal life. But, I mean, this thing continues to impact our country, our culture, our schools, our kids. And so I just, I felt compelled this morning to stop and have a moment of prayer. I thought about all the people that I haven't seen now for almost six months that mean so much to me and our church family because they're vulnerable risk to be here with us who are able to be here. And so I want to have a prayer, especially for you, but also for our country. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just wanted to, I felt that you put it on my heart through the Holy Spirit to take a moment. And to do what many of us have been doing in our own private prayers. But for us to gather as a body, both in this place here at WFR, uh, for university, WFR, for our live stream family. To just join together in hearts and minds and pray for our nation. To pray for a vaccine. To pray, Father, that loss of continued life will be minimal. I know so many families have been affected in so many ways. I think about our kids all getting ready to go back to school, what that's going to look like, how that may impact us as a people. I know people are afraid. And so I pray, Father, you will give us strength today to endure, 
to be strong, to look to you, and to always have eternal eyes that can see, even through pandemics and other difficulties. I thank you for my church. I thank you for the blessing that they are to me. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, by the help of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Clark, if you'll make your way up here. Church, this is uh, Clark Goodwin. He's 13 years old, and he's tall for 13. Uh, It says here that you like to skateboard. Is that true? Okay. And it also says you know some jujitsu. You do? All right. I'm not a threat. I'm just just doing my thing here. But I do know karate. (laughs) So uh, here we go. He's going to read our text today. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you. How about a round of applause for this young man? <laughs> It didn't say he had such a great voice. Man, that guy's got a future in preaching. And he'll beat you up at the same time, which is pretty good. So let me do a little recap, because I'm basically picking up where Mike left off. And I do apologize for the voice. It's not coronavirus, I hope. But it's bad sinuses that I've had my whole life, right? So we have to deal with that. So... Last week, Mike, uh, great sermon, Mike, wherever you are, I think he's here someplace. Um, great sermon on John 1, 1 through 7. And Mike was so right. When you, when you base a, a thinking and a ministry and a dealing with people on bad theology and you get off on the wrong foot, it causes a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. And that's exactly what we see here in this text. And it started with just a simple question, but it was really a picture of a theology that's been around for thousands of years. And it's called the theology of retribution. In other words, it's cause and effect. You make a mistake and then you're going to be punished for it. Some groups called it karma. It was always something that said every cause always had the negative effect for every bad thing. I don't know why it wasn't every good thing had a good reaction, but they always focused on the negative. And so it starts with this man and he's been born blind and he's begging and he's in this spot where everybody sees him and he's been there for who knows how many years. The Bible doesn't tell us how old he was. And then the disciples looked at him and said, man, and I'm paraphrasing, this is, look at this sad sack of a guy. Who, who sinned, Lord, that, that caused this man to be born blind? Was it his parents or, or was it him? And then Jesus basically refutes this theology that's been around all this time by saying neither this man nor his father sinned or his parents sinned. And he didn't mean that they had never made a mistake, but in other words, there was no cause and effect. This man was born blind to display the work of God. Big picture. Now you'd think that the people of this era would understand that this theology had been debunked a long time earlier. The entire book of Job is about this concept. You remember what happened, Job 1 and 2? Job's an upright, blameless man. God trusts him. The evil one says, well, it's just because you blessed him too much. If I could get my hands on him, you'd see him curse you. And God said, go for it. It wasn't because Job was a sinner 
that he was attacked by Satan and challenged, it was because he was a good person. He was blameless and upright. No one on earth walked like Job. And he lost everything. And yet still, he worshipped God. He didn't curse him. He had eyes that saw. And then all of a sudden, Satan goes back and says, well, if I could just inflict him with some physical pain, because just because you took all the stuff away, but you, you let me do this, and you'll see a man fall to his knees. And so that's what he did. Still, Job didn't curse God. His wife says, you might as well just get it over with. She believed the theology. His dopey friend showed up and gave speech after speech after speech, all in the book of Job, about how bad he was. You did something. You better admit it. You better come to Jesus with this thing. Nope. Finally, Job, who never cursed God, but had a lot of internal questions, that wouldn't you? Finally, he started asking God some hard questions. And the Lord showed up and said, who are you, Job? Let me tell you who I am. And then you, you answer my what I'm about to tell you. After Job 41, when God went on just a rant about what all he had done, here's Job's reply. And I think it sets perfectly what we're going to talk about today. Job 42, verse 1, if you're reading along. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's a good way to start when you're talking to the Almighty. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You were right in asking who I am. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And I love this verse. And I really hadn't taken it deep into my soul until this week of preparation. But this is the verse we need to live by. My ears had heard of you, the most blameless, upright man on planet Earth at the time he said this. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You see, all that pain, all that torturous time, all those speeches from his friends that were supposed to there support him, instead they were throwing him under the bus, all that led to his eyes now finally being open and understanding just how great God is. You tell me that God doesn't waste a crisis to help us see him. Therefore, Job said, I despise myself. And repent in dust and ashes. I want to be like that guy. Because that guy got it. And that's why he had a book in the Bible, by the way. All these years later. So as we know from last week, Mike told the story, Jesus spits into the mud. And he makes little mud pies. And he puts them on the man's eyes. And I always marvel because Jesus has all these creative ways of doing miracles. All of them have a purpose. I mean, sometimes he just says it. Sometimes he just touched him on the eyes. There's several healings in the Gospels. One time in, in Mark 8, he just spit directly on the man's eyes. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. And then it says the man, so he spit on his eyes. He said, what do you see? He said, well, uh, I see. It's like being, you know, at the eye doctor. He's looking at the chart and he said, well, I see people, but they look like trees. And Jesus said, oh, let me fine tune that. I don't know if it sounded like that, but that's the way I imagine it. 
I see perfectly. Now, that wasn't a one, two, A, B. That was just him proving a point. Just like this is. He made the mud pies. He puts them on the man's eyes. And then he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which the word means sent. In other words, you go do what I sent you to do. So he included this man in his own healing. And he knew it was the Sabbath, of course, was just going to drive all the leaders crazy. Here he is making mud pies, sending people down to the water. And yet that's what he decided to do. Amazing. And I look at that and I say, you know, Jesus is consistently challenging how we see and what we think. And he should be. Because let's face it, folks, our thinking gets off course. We can sometimes, we're going to be a, a different picture of the people that are in this lesson today. And all of them without having a clear focus on Jesus are not right. So what was the reaction to this man's sight and restoration? That's what I want to talk about today. And it starts in John 9 and verse 8. First group are the neighbors. So this man, think about it now, he was born blind. We know it's several years. He's begging now to get by. And all of a sudden he comes walking up. And so obviously physically there's a change about him because whatever he looked like before not being able to see, now all of a sudden his eyes are clear. He's looking around. He's probably singing and, and doing a tap dance. I don't know. But his neighbors notice him. And they're sort of curious. What is what? Who? But they're also wrong and confused because a bunch of them said, oh, no, that's not him. It's just some dude that looks like him. I mean, he was the guy that was sitting out. He's the guy we've always known as Bible. It, it can't be true. They're looking at it. It's obvious it's him. They're his neighbors. They've seen him grow up. They've seen his life. But now it's like, huh? I don't think so. No. It's not wrong to be curious, but it's not good to be confused. You know how I know they were really confused? Because they took him to the Pharisees. They should have been taking him to try to find Jesus. Instead, they take him to the leader. We've got we to gotta find out what's going on here. Something's not right. It took me back to a phrase I've heard uttered so many times by people who are lost in some sinful place or terrible place. You know what they always tell me? It's not, man, can you show me Christ? Can you introduce me or reintroduce me to the king? You know what they say? i got to get back in church. i got to read my Bible more. Not that those are bad things. We're here today. We're reading the Bible. Those are good. But if you don't have a clear vision of who Jesus is and how he's working in your life, you can do all the church you want to. Hey, I know I hid in plain sight for a long time. Confused. We've got to get him to somebody to straighten out what's going on here because something has happened. And we don't know what it is. Well, the Pharisees... They responded as we would expect them to. They were very caustic and they were confrontational. Because we know their vision for Jesus, right? Instead of saying, wow, look at you. I mean, you've been just like sitting there begging all these years and now you can see, man, this is exciting. We need to have a feast or celebration or something. Nope. They said... Well, this man, whoever did this, he's not from God. He doesn't even keep the Sabbath making mud pies on Saturday. And then at the end of this story, 
as Mike read last week, you were steeped in sin at birth. They go right back to retribution. How dare you lecture us telling us what this guy did for you? The only reason you were like this is because you were a sinner even when you were born. Missed the point. So you know what they did? They kicked him out. Excommunicado. He's out. Great guys, the Pharisees. See, they saw everything through the lens of legalistic tradition. Because Jesus has corrected them over and over. They don't even understand what the Sabbath, what the purpose was. But you know what? The guy that invented the Sabbath, God, he knew. They won't listen to him. First group has a lens of uncertainty. These guys have a lens of only legalistic tradition and how it affects them right there. And I'm sad to say that has held back the American church across the board. Because we've missed the point so many times. Jesus is the point that pulls us together. See, that can heal everybody. Then, even though you're in a pandemic or anything else, you have something bigger to grasp, to pull yourself to. Well, let me just tell you what we teach here. No, just tell me about Jesus, and we'll go from there. They missed it, and so do people still to this very day. They're still believing in this retribution stuff. Oh, look at that poor woman. She's had all these problems. She just hadn't been able to get it right. What about the parents of the healed man? Surely we get some support here, right? Nope. They're cautious and I think a bit callous. Maybe it's unfair. I wasn't living there at the moment. But if there's some reason he was begging and his parents weren't helping take care of him, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. Family should help first, then the church and the community of believers. This family wasn't there for him. I mean, again, I don't know all their family dynamics, but I know this. When they call him in, here was their answer. John nine twenty. You tell me how this comes across this. You just been cured of blindness your whole life. And here's your parents response to these religious leaders. We know he's our son. We know he's our son. Duh. And we know he was born blind because, you know, they're doubting that what he wasn't. He couldn't have been born blind. How would he get healed? We know he's our son. We know he's born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's old enough. What a cop out. I would think if someone just healed my child of blindness from birth, that I would be saying, who is he? And I want to be able to thank him and praise him and find out more about it. If I really love my kid. John goes on to tell us that the reason they did this was because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So they were more worried about their status in the synagogue than the future of their own son. You see what happens when you look through things through a lens of fear? I take that as pretty callous from where I sit. If I'm wrong, they can correct me in heaven. Well, what about the man himself? 
Because really his reaction is the most important, right? Everybody around him seems to miss it. But what about this man? Because obviously his life has changed. Well, throughout this whole episode in John 9, one of the first things I noticed is that he consistently gave his testimony of what Christ did to restore his sight. He never changed his story. And look, they're putting the heat on him. They bring him back in. Three times he had to do his testimony. The third time they're like, look, give glory to God. Just go ahead and admit to us this man has to be a sinner. He can't be who he says he is. And then this man is incredulous. He's like, what? What are you talking about? If he were like you're describing, how could he have done this to me? He's just he's just pouring out the truth. He said, do you want us to be his disciples, too? (laughs) I think he almost said it just to make him mad, but maybe not. Maybe he was just sincere. Do you want to get on board? Boy, they weren't happy to hear that. You see, he was willing to tell the story. And they said, well, who do you think he is? Well, he's a prophet. He's obviously a disciple maker. See how he's reasoning? I, I don't know who he is fully, but I know he's somebody I, I need to get to know. And you know what? He was the only one in the story willing to pay the price. The price meant getting kicked out of the club. And he was like, I'm out then. Because I'm going to stand by the man who gave me sight. And so would I. I hope. He paid the price. He was willing. And then they hurled insults at him and they condemned him and they excommunicated him. But now he was ready. Now this next set of verses are powerful. If you're following along, look at John 9, 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. You think Jesus was surprised by that? He knew. He knew they'd kick him out. That's probably why he did it the way he did it. Because there was only one person here who was really seeking. And then he found him. Now that's just a little short part of a sentence, but think about that. And then he found him. Jesus went looking for him. He had already given him his sight. When you think Jesus said, all right, you're good to go. Hope you get it worked out. Now you can see. Find me. Nope. He found him. He sought him out. You know why? Because now he was ready to really see. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? He said he hadn't put it together yet fully. But now he's finally looking. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. You just thought you could see, but now you can see. You know what happens? The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See what happens when you can really see through eternal lens? You know what the first thing you do? You worship. You know what Job did the first time he found out all his kids were dead, all of his stuff was gone? His wife hated him. He worshiped God. You know why? Because he could see. I think about people going through devastating, terrible times and hard things, and yet they inspire you. 
I'll never forget the last time I went and had a conversation with Carl Allison, one of the best men I ever knew. He's dying. I went to see him to encourage him. Guess who left encouraged? Because he could see. This is the work of God being displayed in his life. Not, not just the miracle of regaining his physical sight. That was great. That got him to this point. But this was the work of God really being displayed that now it was for his whole life. It would matter. He would matter. I cannot wait to find this guy in eternity and say, tell me what happened after all that. Because I guarantee you this guy's got a story. Whole life not seeing, then you saw, then you really saw, and then what did you do? I want to hear the playback. You imagine how many hundreds of thousands of years we're going to spend eternity just hearing all the stories that we've always read? Man. The miracle of faith leading to worship, leading to seeing what others can't see, is far more impressive than even regaining your physical sight. Powerful. We used to go to Mexico on medical missions. And one of the years that I went, there was a vision team that was working with people. And they just got old glasses from the U.S. And so it was amazing. You'd see these little people come down out of the mountains. And they're straining. They can't even hardly make out who you are. And then someone would slide a pair of those glasses on there, and if it happened to fit and hit the right one, they, I mean, it was like, we, I can see. I mean, in their minds, it was like a miracle, because I came here and I've been able to see, and now I can see what was even more amazing is that, weren't, that wasn't why we were there. We were there to help them really see who Jesus is and impact people's lives. I don't think you find a better story of this than the story of the Apostle Paul. Think about the same Lord who gave this man sight, struck Saul down and took away his vision to get his attention. Same Lord. It's like, you want to see something? I'm going to show you something. He couldn't see for three days. Something grew over, it's such a traumatic thing that it grew over his eyes. And so he went and sat in a house for three days having a little internal circumstance look. And then finally decided, you know what, maybe there's something to this Jesus. What he didn't know was across town, Jesus was given a vision to another man named Ananias who he would send. And Ananias was very reluctant to go. Lord, do you know the story on this guy? He said, go, lay your hands on him. He's going to receive his sight. And then the Bible says something interesting in Acts 9, 16. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That was his lot in life. See, he had lived his whole life. He saw perfectly fine until he couldn't. And then when the scales fell off, he would suffer for the rest of the way. Totally inverted from the other man we've been looking at, but both men doing the will of God. Ananias went to the house, placed his hands on Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Physical sight. Spiritual sight. He had to have both. 
Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He could see again. There was physical restoration. He got up and was baptized. There was the spiritual. And now he could see. We get a lot of clues in the Bible that tell us that Paul struggled with this vision the rest of the way. But I want to read you what he said in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. That's a man that can see. If the team could come up in the fellowship center as well. That's why we started with 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Words of Paul that we could see the unseen. The first person that showed me Jesus was a 75-year-old blind lady in Junction City, Arkansas. She was a preacher's wife. I, I don't even know her first name. We, they just called her Sister Layton. You know, everybody's sister or brother. She was. She told me she was uh, about 11 years old or 12. And one day, all of a sudden, it just started getting dim. And then it was gone. She could never see after that day. I'm sure there was some medical reason for it that someone here could tell me what it was. But I was, at the time, five years old. She started reading me the Bible. Singing songs. I thought she was like a ninja super warrior because I'd step one foot in the yard and she, hey, Alan, come on in. I didn't know about, you know, enhanced hearing and all that. She was an incredible, amazing woman who with her husband saw a four-year-old boy in a tough situation and said, you know what? I want to spend some time with that kid. I realize now all these years later... God put her in my life to show me what a person who can really see looks like. She wowed me. And she loved me. At a time where I needed to be loved. So I ask you today, what's keeping you from having 2020 spiritual vision today? Maybe it's because you haven't made a first time commitment to Jesus Christ. Could be. I can promise you this. In spiritual blindness, unless you make a decision to seek, he can't find you. And that's crucial. I get so many emails and letters from our podcast of people that finally are starting to see. And it's not because of three guys telling stories. It's because the gospel and Jesus are at the core of everything we're telling them. And they're finally ready to take the blinders off and to seek. And you're seeing the fruit of that in our own community by people coming in here every Sunday. Because they want to be spiritually, they want the blindness to be taken away. So maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're out there watching the live stream and God's been leading you to this moment. You know what you need to start with today? Lord, I believe. And worship him. Maybe for the first time. Commit your life to him. Tell him he's going to be the Lord. I believe. And you don't have to come here. You find somebody in your community, baptize you in some water. The Holy Spirit comes to live right inside. And it changes your life forever. Maybe it's just a second touch you need. Maybe you're like that guy in Mark 8. And you see people, but they look like trees. You're unsure. Well, get sure. Lay that burden down. 
You have an opportunity to come forward. We pray over one another. Sometimes it's physical stuff. Many times it's spiritual things. But we're in this together. And you can come back for the second time or the 222nd time. He's not counting. He just wants you to see and be clear. Maybe it's need to count the cost of commitment and make an action today. If you do, would you do that while we stand and while we sing?